welcome into Coach's Corner. I am your host, Lucas Kochevar, as always. And going back to a little bit of an old technique you used to use here. Um, had work this afternoon, so I couldn't do the live stream on YouTube. Computer is just trying its hardest to be on right now, so we're going to do an old classic Coach's Corner with me doing the headphone mic. And yeah, we're just going to go into it. So, first topic you have to discuss, since we were last talked... We have a team in the NBA Finals. That is right. The Denver Nuggets finally broke through. They have made it to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. So a very cool thing there for Nikolai Jokic, uh, Mike, Michael Malone, uh, Jamal Murray. They sweep the Lakers. That's right. Sweep the Lakers. And, yeah, it was it was a kind of a topsy-turvy game you know we watched it live for a little bit and you know I was I was very skeptical that they were going to get a be able to win and overcome what they were struggling through because never felt like they truly got that offensive rhythm until once again Nikolai Jokic kind of took over the reins and controlled the game down the stretch there for the Nuggets and led them to their you know like I said first finals appearance in history they've never been to the finals ever so I saw a list where I think it's like the couple teams that haven't been to the finals yet. Um, I, it was like the Clippers, the oh man, hold on, live research on the show. It was the Clippers to a finals. Timberwolves, Charlotte, Memphis, and New Orleans, which. Two of those are newer franchises. Clippers have been around for a decent bit. Minnesota's, I, I guess, been around a little bit, and the Hornets are the same time. But yeah, the Denver Nuggets finally out of the the club. There, they make it, and it's like I said, it's one of those things where the Nuggets played so good under pressure because you know they lo- they win game one. But the talk is about how the Lakers almost came back because Rui Achimura was guarding Jokic for a couple possessions. Then we get to game two, and, you know, it's one of those games where I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I don't even remember how that game went down because, you know, the, the Nuggets just won the game. They just, you know, hit their shots. I'm going to try and backtrack here. Dun, dun. Yeah, Jokic went crazy. And then... Yeah, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray came back, like, just led the Nuggets like crazy to get back into the game, too. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, they can't keep shooting that crazy. And then game three happens, and it's like, oh, Jamal Murray was stopped in the second half. They couldn't do this and that. But... Monday, the Nuggets finally just, like, stopped it, finished finished the job. You know, like I said, Jokic had a great game. Down the stretch, I think he was particularly brilliant, you know, kind of doing what they needed him to do. <clears throat> uh, Jamal Murray, of course, showed up when he needed to. A lot of guys just, they played their best ball when they absolutely needed it. Aaron Gordon has not made a three-pointer the entire series. He made three in game four, so... You know, plays like that were just 
paramount in the Nuggets winning this game. And also, I mean, I can't even say that the Lakers, you know, certain Lakers just didn't play up to the standard that they should have, and that also helps. And the Nuggets took advantage of that. I mean, namely, D'Angelo Russell is the guy that comes to mind for this series because he was so bad, so dreadful. Basically um, a net negative every single time he was on the court. And, you know, but you also have to think about, you know, players that should have played better, there were guys that also just played better than they normally do. Like, Rui Achimura had a rough game four, but he gave the Lakers everything he had. Uh, Austin Reeves, he this entire run the Lakers have been on, he's given them everything he's got, and he's going to make 100 million because of that. So, you have to, like, also, you know, take in the context of what, you know, as much as one player played really bad, couple other players really did step up for the Lakers so I think it balances the scales you know and it's funny D'Angelo Russell is actually plus six in this game does not feel like it and LeBron James was minus two despite scoring 30 points in the first half himself so and that, I think that also comes down to is also you know the LeBron James did what Jamal Murray did in game three he scored 30 points in the first half and the Lakers had a 15 point lead but the difference between the Lakers and the Nuggets were the Nuggets were able to just overcome, you know, one player beating them. And, you know, the Lakers just couldn't hold on. They just couldn't sustain enough offense to keep up with Jamal Murray, where, like I said, the Nuggets' offense is it's one of those where if they're not playing well, it's a sleeping giant because they will eventually wake up just because of the offensive prowess of Nikolai Jokic. Because. Even when he's not having a good game, like shooting-wise, efficiency-wise, you know, he'll figure out either a matchup where he can just find the post-up or find a pick-and-roll, find a switch, and from there, when he's in the post, either high, low, he's going to make the right pass time after time, find the players that, you know, are having a good game because, you know, guys like Aaron Gordon, I, I can't praise Aaron Gordon's, you know, ability to fit in on this Nuggets team, I can't praise it like any more than it's already been praised. Cause, you know, he came over from Orlando and was a decent player, but you know, it never, it never truly felt like he had reached his ceiling. And he ends up on the Nuggets next to Jokic in a perfect fit. And he, I feel like he's been the best version of himself since he's been on this team. You know, he catches alley oops. He's their best defender on the wing, or perimeter defender. And he does, like, all this little dirty work that you need him to. And just maximizes, like, his play to a level that I didn't think he could get to. And I was a very anti-Aaron Gordon last playoff run because he was so dreadful. But I think that they kind of figured each other out. You know, him and Jokic in the front court, Jamal Murray, like, they figured out how to use him, utilize him best, and the results, I think, are this game where you have him, I, not shutting down LeBron, but you know, causing enough trouble where LeBron slows down significantly in the second half, you know, makes play after play on offense when you need him to near the basket, especially. I thought he was big on the offensive glass. You know, four offensive rebounds himself and five assists, like stuff like that. It's just, it does doesn't show up crazy in the box score like it does for Jokic, but the plays are there, and it's clear that he was a big piece of what they're doing now with his defense 
And I have to assume that you know whoever advances, because we'll get to that game in a little bit between the Celtics and Heat, Aaron Gordon is going to be on Tatum or Jimmy Butler. He's going to be at the main defensive assignment. And, you know, it's I'm very curious how it'll go. Because Aaron Gordon is bigger than those guys, just as a wing guy. And they're not, like, I think Jimmy Butler's more of a, like, that style that helps Aaron Gordon play. Like, the, you know, drive to the basket kind of hard to play against. that That's Jimmy Butler, and Aaron Gordon is better for that. Yeah, but Tatum, I think, you know, maybe provides a little bit more issues with how he can move. But even then, we just watched Aaron Gordon put up his best defensive effort against Kevin Durant and LeBron James in back-to-back series. And like I said, the box scores look different, but if you watch the game, I think that it's clear of how much of an impact he has on their defense, their team defense, because it's not just one guy dominating. And the, as a team, they have no answer. It's, you have Aaron Gordon making the other guy's life harder, and the rest of the team is able to at least keep their matchups at bay. So, like I said, the Nuggets get a big, big stop here at the end on LeBron James. Aaron Gordon, like I said, gets a big stop, finishes off the Lakers, a 4-0 sweep. Nuggets in the con- or NBA Finals, not even the Conference Finals. And yeah, LeBron kind of was very, very weird in his post-game press conference. I think it was a side that, you know, everyone wants to like kind of say it's a measured move where he's like, you know, kind of leaving it up like maybe I'll come back or maybe I won't just so he can leverage the Lakers. But I feel like we have to realize, you know, I, this has been a hard season on LeBron's body. I think it's like finally been the first time where I've seen him not necessarily human, like, not necessarily, like, struggling or anything. But I think this was a harder season on him than, you know, the past couple. And I think that was noticeable this time around just because of, you know, I'm not even the guy that believes too much into his injury stuff. Like, the he had an injury that was so bad on him because he played so many minutes and played pretty well besides the shooting. I think his he was legitimately just tired. I I think his his um stamina has suffered greatly because I mean he just he just looks so tired out there by the time the fourth quarter rolls around and he's trying his best to keep it up because <clears throat> you know he played all 48 in this game and as much as I was giving credit to those defensive stops that the Nuggets ended up getting I, I think those shots were also just poor like their poor form, poor just energy on it because he, he doesn't have that much energy anymore. You know, it's it's a lot for him to draw, you know, that extra gear, I think. I think it's a really tough for him now at this age and this shape to do that. And I'm not, I'm not going to say he's going to retire. It's one of those like Tom Brady where it's like, I won't believe it until I see it. But, I mean, I could see him sitting out the year and then waiting for his son to come in and maybe he does moves there, makes a move. But, I, I like I said, I don't think he's done in basketball yet. We we just saw way too good of a performance. And as many of people alluded, he hasn't done a retirement tour, which is absolutely what LeBron is going to do. Because, I mean, we saw Kobe do it. And, you know, I don't want to say Kobe's an attention guy, like was a big attention guy, but he got one and... I mean, I can't see a world where LeBron doesn't want that. So we'll see that. I'm sure he'll 
maybe he announces it this year. You know, maybe he like does retire for a year, watches Bronny at USC, and then comes back for a retirement tour. I don't know. I don't know. There's definitely a way that LeBron's going to spin this where we're going to get LeBron James on TV 24-7 because that's what we kind of already have in the NBA and we have to have one last send-off before that end is here. But speaking of that, speaking of the other game that I mentioned, the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, that's right. We had a game four that actually didn't end in a sweep. That's right. The Miami Heat were not able to close out the Celtics. Celtics looked like they were dead for a little bit. It looked like the Heat were going to finally advance, you know, take care of their business at home. But Celtics said not so fast. Third quarter outscored the Heat. 38-23, ended up getting the win, made some good plays down the stretch that kept Miami at bay, I think, that really propelled them. And, yeah, so I, I can see the Celtics now. Just It's it's one of those where I, I hard for me to believe that the Celtics are going to make this a series because of how everyone is saying that the Celtics have it in the bag, that they're going to win Game 5 easily. Like, Charles Barkley saying it's going to be a cakewalk in Game 5. You know, it, it just... I don't believe it is. I'm going to go up on a stretch and say, I think the Heat are going to win tomorrow. I, that's going to be my prediction. We're not going to know until Sunday or Monday night whether it's true or not, but I can't imagine the Heat... This Heat team right now is on such a fire, like, just on such a bender right now of winning and great plays that I think this was an anomaly. I, I think this really was just, you know, the, I don't think they shot their best in the second half. I think that, you know, Celtics, they had they had to win, so their backs were against the wall, and obviously they have to, again, at home. But you have to remember that they have not been good at home during the, you know, in the playoffs here. I think they're 500, where every other team was undefeated until, you know, Lakers lost to the Nuggets. So... Uh, it's looking grim, and I don't think that the Celtics will pull out. Because also, I think they had some, you know, players play better than they have during this series. Like, some guys finally showed up. Like, Jalen Brown had a good game. Uh, Grant Williams had a good game. You know, are you going to get these performances again? Are you going to get Derek White 16 points again? Are you going to get, you know... I can't even say Marcus Smart did good. Or Al Horford. Are you going to get another 12 points from Al Horford? You know, it's a, lo- a lot of guys where they haven't been good this series and they have one good game. It's like, how am I supposed to believe you're going to repeat this for three more games? Not even just next game. Not looking ahead to next game. Three more games you have to win. So that's pretty tough. Uh, Jimmy Butler also shot t- nine of 21. You know, I, Duncan Robinson is one of five. Kayla Martin is the best player that the Heat have, apparently, but even then, I I have to imagine that the other role players once again show up because they have just all series. So, yeah, calling it now, I think the Heat get a win here, close it out. But we'll preview the NBA Finals probably much more in-depthly when we get there. But real quick before I send us on our way, I wanted to look at some head coaching vacancies because... I've talked about it briefly. I've touched on it here and there with, you know, di- different certain teams that are, you know, kind of, I guess, trying to find their new coach. Because a lot of, there's some reports with finalists. I 
like Doc Rivers is a finalist for the six or the Suns job. I mean, let's get serious here. I was thinking to myself, should Doc Rivers get another head coaching gig? Like, should he? Does he? Has he earned the right to have one? So, because you think about it now, he's blown multiple three-one leads. He's been ran out of town with teams that are very, very good. Have been title contenders. You know, despite what you think about the Sixers team, they were title contenders, and they failed in the second round again. The Clippers, multiple times with the Chris Paul Clippers and the Kawhi Leonard Clippers, they were favorites, like to be around there in the title, could do nothing. And, of course, the Celtics, he only won one title with them during his time there. Uh, blew the three one, the first 3-1 lead with T-Mac and the Magic there in the early 2000s. Just multiple failures as a head coach. And he's getting another job with another title contender? I don't know. I think the reputation is propelling him a lot more than it should. But regardless, real quick, I wanted to just rank, probably rank these from worst to best because I, there are some really, really good jobs. And I think there are some jobs that can open up here. Tyron Lue in Los Angeles with the Clippers. That was a possible job that could have been that could be opening up soon. Uh, seems like there's mutual interest to part ways. I don't know. They haven't done anything yet, but... Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr with the Warriors is another one where I, I don't know if it's souring, but it's one of those. I think we would have heard something by now if it was going to end. I think they'll do one more run. I, if I had to guess, I have no idea, but I, I can't imagine that you know the, this version of the Warriors is going to be happening much longer. But either way, ranking the worst, or I guess not even worst situations, but from bottom to first, like best, I think. I have to start with the worst situation, and it's going to be the Detroit Pistons. It's tough between the fourth and fifth one, because I think that for different reasons, they are the worst spot here. But the worst one, I think, is the Detroit Pistons, just because of how the roster is made up. I think it's a funky-looking roster. Uh, Obviously, they were terrible this year. You know, Kate Cunningham missed the entire season, practically, with his injury, and so that is kind of like a redshirt year. But even then, the Pistons got the fifth pick, despite losing, you know, all those games. They didn't. They don't even get a top four pick. That's tough. You know, they have a weird amount of depth on at center, and it feels like they have, you know, Jay Ivey and Kate Cunningham's a cool backcourt, but two point guards there that I don't know if they mesh. Killian Hayes off the bench is pretty solid. Um, but you know, like I said, it's just, it's a team that hasn't won in a long time, you know, since their, I think mid 2000s runs with Chauncey Billups and co. And the, I don't, I don't see that they're particularly close. And I, I was a big fan of what the Pistons did during the off season, but I see quickly that it just hasn't worked. It's just not, it looks like a functioning unit. I don't know what their fix is going to be, what they figure out for this team. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a confusing bunch to say the least, but I I do think Cade Cunningham, like I said, Cade Cunningham and Jay Ivey are a good base to build around. They have, you know, Jalen Duran, uh Isaiah Stewart in the front court. The players are there. It's just figuring out the ways to use them, you know, how what guy do you bring in? And you know, like this is a team that I think I don't want to say the clock's ticking because they are still a couple pieces away, but 
there's got to be a point where the Pistons make that switch from, you know what, we're rebuilding every year, like we're picking in the top five every year, to, hey, we want to compete to be in the play-in at least. Because they're not even, they're not the mediocre where they're like hanging around the play-in, they're just flat out still bad. And obviously with Kate Cunningham out, you can't really even compete for that, but yeah, that's, that's, the Pistons are just in a tough spot, I think, with development and their roster construction. But next to them, which, like I said, is a team that I think is closer than a lot of people want to admit, the Toronto Raptors. Um, I think the Toronto Raptors, like I said, are in a funky spot just because, you know, Nick Nurse was a great coach and they decided to move on still. Uh, their free agents, I think, uh, coming up are Fred Van Vliet, which is one of their, I guess, franchise guys, which is weird to say because I, I like Fred Van Vliet, but thinking of him as, like, one of my top two players is not something I love. Great third or fourth guy, weird top two. But, you know, the interest is there. Um... With only the fact that his roster is full of good players, like no, like no joke about it. I think Jakob Pueto's about to be a free agent, but if they can retain him, they have him. Uh, Scotty Barnes, who just won Rookie of the Year. He had a rough year, sophomore slump, I would say. Uh, you have OG Ananobi, which I think he might be traded, so he might not. But Pascal Siakam is your face, and he was great this year. But, you know, it's, once again, it's a guy that I'd love to have maybe a 2 3 not a number one, but, you know, I think they're, the Raptors are in the tough spot where they are kind of middle of the pack in the East, but not good enough to where, I, like, they, they'd have to make another one of those Kawhi Leonard-type moves where an insane, like, player do you have to go trade for that can elevate your franchise and maybe draw free agents in. But right now, as constructed, they're just a middle play-in team. And it's it's tough. Because like I said, the Raptors were just a championship you know, a couple of years ago. And it looks like they're going to have to start kind of either going towards the rebuild or make that big home run swing. Which, they also have an executive that's like gotten interest from other jobs. You know, Masai Ujuri, I believe his name is. You know, he's gotten in- interest from other jobs that have been willing to like try and pay him money. But he hasn't left yet. But if if someone comes to knock and he might answer, and that's another big hole that they have to fill, and the Raptors could be heading down a spiral pretty quickly. The next team that I think has a tricky situation, but is these top three I think are you know you're going in to compete immediately. The Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Milwaukee Bucks have to be third here, despite I think that they're better than another East team. It's just the age and the money and free agents that they have. Uh, Chris Middleton can opt out, I believe, of his player option, and I'm sure he will to seek more money. Uh, Brooke Lopez is going to be a free agent, I believe. You know, a couple other role players will be because this was their year where they kind of went all in when it came to like the buyout market with a lot of vets coming in. Uh, some other free agents last offseason they signed. You know, they're, they're going to have to do some retooling. They just got swept by the Heat, which I don't think looks as bad in hindsight, but still, you know, you were the best team in the entire league and you got swept, or 4-1. Either way, you lost in the first round to the eighth seed. So, Milwaukee Bucks are a funky spot here where the expectations are really high because of the player you have in Giannis Antetokounmpo. The roster is going to be pretty turnover-heavy. Uh, you have to figure out if you are going to you know, dish out the money to 
guys like Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez who were fundamental but also weren't their best, I think, when you needed them. So Milwaukee Bucks have some decisions to make. Uh, and then the next team, the Philadelphia 76ers. I think the 76ers are in a spot where, you know, obviously Joel Embiid just won the MVP, pretty fraudulent, but he won the MVP, and you have Tyrese Maxey. You're going to the last year of Tobias Harris, finally, for them. Who who knows if they'll trade him or not. And, you know, I, I think this is a team that is a couple pieces away if they can fill in the right spots that can make it to the conference finals, maybe finally. <laughs> but seriously, though, they have to figure out what to do with James Harden. James Harden's a free agent. It's been really heavily talked about. He wants to go to Houston. Feels like a little bit too much smoke there for my liking, but he's a big piece of this future for the Sixers if they want to retain him, if they want to move on, go after Damian Lillard maybe on the trade market or another star that might be wanting out. You know, they have some decisions to make the Sixers as well. They're... Them and the Bucks, they both have big free agents that they have to kind of figure out. And, you know, teams in the East that would love to pounce up. I mean, this could be a good spot for them, uh, you know, for the Sixers and Bucks to make some big, like, I guess, regression type moves where they just are not the top three seeds anymore. But I like to think they will be just because of the top players they have. But regardless, Sixers, I still think are a better spot than the Bucks because, you know, I. They're just they have a couple more players that under contract at least that I think can work, and you just have to either figure out James Harden or you know pursue a guy that could I guess maybe play better defense or shoot better than you know a lot of the guys because Sixers don't have great shooters and I think they missed a couple guys there down the stretch that could make threes open threes at least against the Celtics so. And then the best team, the best spot, and it's one of those where I'm projecting that they make some moves because I don't. This iteration of the Suns is not the best, makes this the best job. But the number one spot, I think the Phoenix Suns are the best opening because of the fact that you have Devin Booker, you have Kevin Durant, yeah, uh, you were a pretty decent contender on the buyout market that got a couple players to have some interest. I think. Now that you're in the offseason, you can have more of those free agents, those veterans come in that want to win a championship that will come in and make an impact. Like I think Jeff Green on the Nuggets right now is a great example of one of those players where he's a vet. Um, he doesn't have to play a ton of minutes. He's just a bench veteran. He knows like basically he knows about just as much as you can about basketball because he's been around for a while. You know, you get a couple of those guys, a couple shooters that I think like Landry Shaman, I think had one good game where. If you get guys that are consistently like that one Landry Shamit game, I think you're a better seed. I think you're in a better situation. But I do have to say they have big decisions to make as well. Do they want to bring back old man Chris Paul? He's due a lot of money. He's going to be 39, I believe, or 40. And it was pretty pretty evident down the stretch there that he was a liability big time. You know, uh, can you find a, a fifth starter that can give you consistent play? Not, you know, this Josh Okogie, Landry Shamit, like, you know, cycle that is just constantly like you're swapping in the fifth starter. Can you find a consistent guy there? And DeAndre Aiden, what do you do with DeAndre Aiden? Because I think it's pretty evident either 
The Suns are done with DeAndre Ayton, and they just decided to clean house with him and Monty Williams. Or Monty Williams was so net negative for DeAndre Ayton's development that they were like, you know what, this is the final straw, that we have to get rid of one of these guys, and Monty Williams is not bringing out the best in DeAndre Ayton. Can they figure out which one of those works for them? And, you know, bringing back DeAndre Ayton, can DeAndre Ayton be more of a dynamic big? I think he's kind of a throwback guy. But he's also not good enough at what he does to be a throwback center in today's NBA. He's not like a Joel Embiid back to the basket can kind of score through the post. Like he can do that, but with the significant help of a point guard directing him, leading him to his spots. And I think either he needs to figure out a big spot to improve or he needs to get traded to a team that will. Namely the Sun or the Pacers, because the Pacers signed DeAndre Ayton. But then the Suns matched that offer and kind of you know negated that thing. But if DeAndre Ayton gets traded to the um, Pacers for like Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, I love that type of move for the Suns. I, it brings spacing. It brings a great defensive force with Miles Turner. Um, I, you know, one of those moves, a move like that where I don't even know if DeAndre Ayton has that type of value, but. Maybe figuring out a better situation for him in the coming weeks is, or coming months is better for him, better for the team. And I think the Suns are like, you can quickly t- retool this one to figure out that they're going to be like one of the best teams in the West. Because the West is very wide open outside of teams like the Nuggets. And, you know, there are a lot of young teams that look to be better, but still, I think the Suns could be better than those teams, obviously. So that's all the coaching stuff I wanted to talk talk, uh, talk about, touch on, you know, really get into it. So before I let you out of here, let me remind you, like, subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, the podcast. You know, check out the new video dropped. It was about the sandwich bracket fight, another bracket fight series. Of course, we got to keep it going. Uh, make sure to check out old shows if you haven't seen, listened to those. And yeah, until next week, until Monday, Monday night, hopefully I'll be back on the air. I'll be on YouTube, live streaming at 9 o'clock, as always. I'm your host, Lucas Kochevar. Goodbye.